right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I'm recording this. Uh, in between games here, as the Nuggets, they take their day off. They didn't practice today. They're not going to practice in between games. That that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, their, day, their day off as they prepare for a home opener on Friday against the San Antonio Spurs. And we'll talk about that in the third segment, but there have been a couple of things that have happened over the course of this week, and I wanted to be able to cover them in this platform, just make sure that we get the proper information out there, and and I can share my takes on, on some of the major things that have happened so far around the NBA. It's going to be interesting to see kind of the fallout from this, uh, because the NBA Top 75 list came out. It's the top 75 players over the last 75 years, the only 75 years that the NBA has actually been a thing. And it's funny. They actually made it 76 players because there was a tie. And rather than decide the tie, they decided to include both players that that actually made it. And I'm not surprised that they went with that because when in doubt, the NBA just has to, uh, just got to include everybody, but clearly not everybody. And, uh, and I think it's a very fair question as to whether Nikola Jokic deserved to be on this list, as to whether Alex English deserved to be on this list, as whether there was enough Nuggets representation for a franchise that has been around for a long, long time. Uh, two former Nuggets did make it, Allen Iverson and Carmelo Anthony. Uh, neither is... I, well, Carmelo, it's kind of debatable. I think he's if he goes into the Hall of Fame, which he will, he'll go in as a New York Nick, probably not going in as a Nugget. But AI, definitely not as well-known for his days in a Nuggets uniform, more well-known as his days as a 76er. So not really a lot of Nuggets representation. And so it's not mandatory that individual teams get representation, but the Nuggets have been around for nearly 50 years. I think about 45, if I'm not mistaken. And because of that, you would expect them to have at least somebody that goes in as a member, as a kind of a face of the organization. And that didn't really happen. Um, here's by the numbers. You had 65 retired players, 11 active players uh, who w- went into this thing. And I thought that there would be more active players that go in. We're in a really great golden age of basketball in which there are a lot of NBA greats that should be in the Hall of Fame, that should be on this list. And I think that we've we've reached a pinnacle, in my opinion, of having superstars everywhere, basically. Quality NBA talent across the league to the point that even when you have three superstars in LeBron James Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook on the same team, that team is not necessarily the favorite. I think you'd even have the Brooklyn Nets as the favorite, and they just lost Kyrie. And you still got Giannis and the Bucks and Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and the Suns, who the Denver Nuggets, with their MVP, Nikola Jokic, just beat. There's a lot of talent in the current NBA, and I kind of take exception to some of the names that were on this list because 
here's how it kind of broke down. The NBA's top 50 at 50 had 50 names that, that made it, and there were some egregious omissions in that one as well that were corrected this time around. You had uh, Dominique Wilkins didn't make it. Uh, you had Bob McAdoo was the only MVP at that time who didn't make it, but he made it this time around. And you had guys like Lenny Wilkins and Dave Bing and Dave DeBusher and a lot of players and like Pete Maravich is one. And there's just a lot of players, I think, that don't necessarily have as great of a resume as even some of the current day players that were left off of this list. And a lot of the reason that they were put on there, I think, was for the preservation of history, for prioritizing the history of the league which is fine. I mean, that's the league's prerogative. And I, I get that, that that's the reason why they did it. But I think that Nikola Jokic being one of only two MVPs that wasn't on the list, the other being Derek Rose, who of course had his career kind of altered by a massive knee injury and then subsequent injuries for sure. I think that matters. I think it matters that Jokic, despite the fact that being six years into his career, has already put together a case that he probably should have been on this list. Let's be real. He wasn't there. And I actually had Nick Wright on Twitter laugh at me for the idea that he would be there. When players like Lenny Wilkins and Dave DeBusher and Dave Bing and some of these other historical, uh, not even greats, but goods, were able to make it just because they were on good teams that had other great stars and they were the third options and fourth options and fifth options on those teams. But that's fine. It's not really about me in this case. Uh, I've seen a lot of people ask, Ryan, why do you make a big deal out of this? I mean, the only active players that made on made it on were Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis is kind of the worst of the, the players that were active. You have guys like Steph Curry, James Harden, Giannis, LeBron, KD. Uh, you had Melo. You had Chris Paul. You had uh, just a lot of really, really talented players among the active list that made it. But I'm one of the, the young people that thinks that this version of the league is the best we've ever seen. And deserved a bit more representation than what it really has happened. Uh, like Billy Cunningham and I don't know. I mean, there's there's just a lot of the older crowd that there's a lot of people in today's NBA that don't know those names. Which means that they didn't stick around as impactful members for the history of the game. But we're kind of force-feeding them down the throats of people because they were not even the best of their era, but kind of like in the, the general conversation of their era. I don't know. It felt like a copy and paste of the top 50 at 50 list because all 50 of those guys made it and then the league made 25 new additions. They said that that wasn't guaranteed, but that kind of happened anyway. I don't think that that should have been the case. I think that there were some pretty nasty omissions. Dwight Howard, Tracy McGrady, Alex English. Uh, there's a lot of players who I think could have made this, even before talking about Jokic, who has one of the MVPs. And 
I think that his case is really, really good. But let's even talk about Alex English for a second. He was the leading scorer of an entire decade in the 1980s. He went up against the Showtime Lakers. That was the reason why he didn't get to an NBA Finals. But he still had the longevity to be able to get in there. Like, to be the leading scorer of a decade and to not be represented, that feels a little weird. feels a little off. Here would be my case for Nikola Jokic, though. The only argument really against him is time. Not impact, not his ability to make players better. It was clear that you don't need winning at the highest levels in order to make the list. It certainly helps, especially if your resume individually isn't as great. But he has plenty of data behind him that he's going to continue to do exactly what he's doing. He's been great for five straight years after his rookie season. He's been getting better every single year. And I think that this as the first year of his prime in which he won MVP and is changing basketball as a big man playmaker already. I think that's a big deal. He already has three all-star games, already has three all-NBAs, including two first-team all-NBAs. There are some players that made this list that didn't make all-NBA at all, which kind of says the Jokic, one of the best in his era right now, but clearly not being represented that way. Being one of the two MVPs left off is a big deal. And if the Nuggets were to win a title this year, this is kind of how I think about it. Like, if the Nuggets were to win, and then he were to win finals MVP as the, the best player on the team, would he be a shoe-in for the list at that point? Yes, of course he would. Because he would have a title, he'd have an MVP, he'd have a finals MVP. I assume he's going to get another All-NBA at that point. So four All-NBAs, four All-Stars, and multiple individual awards in addition to a team award. It's a big deal. And if you're a shoo-in at that point, then why delay? If the biggest argument against you is that you haven't done the thing that you're almost expected to do, why delay? And I realize that it's kind of a big leap to just assume that Denver's going to win a title. I believe it. I believe that they have the capability to do so. I did pick them to win this year. But I think that at some point in his career, he's going to do it. I think you can make an argument against some of the other young guys, like Luka Doncic and Zion Williamson and uh, Joel Embiid and, and guys like that. There are definitely pitfalls in picking them. The Nuggets have been winning consistently. And the only thing that really held them back last year was a torn ACL to their second best player. I understand why he was left off. He probably doesn't have enough time. He probably doesn't have as many counting stats as people want, as many awards as people want. But my belief that he's going to get those and that if we're just kind of delaying this thing, then I think it's a it, it's a really, really dumb way to leave somebody off that 
it just happened to be that the top 75 came this year as opposed to two or three years from now where, look, if Jokic wins another MVP, then he's definitely on the list. If he wins a championship and a finals MVP, he's definitely on the list. Even if he doesn't, if he goes first team All-NBA two more times, then he's definitely on the list. So why delay? I understand that people are going to be annoyed that I'm just caping for this guy, but I'm here to defend the Nuggets. I'm here to defend their honor. This is the team that I cover. This is the team that I care about. And I think that Jokic has constantly been shortchanged in a lot of these national conversations, and I believe that somebody needs to speak up on his behalf. And if it means getting called out by Nick Wright on Twitter or getting laughed at by people, I don't really care. Like, honestly, Jokic doesn't care. Jokic doesn't care what the hell people think at all. He has a different mentality than me. But I'm going to cape for him because I think he's great and I think he deserves it. And I think that very few people will cape for him when the time comes, as we saw in the MVP race last year. So either way. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the rest of the NBA, including my my MVP tracker. We will be right back. Alright, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you're listening to, if you like the Nuggets content, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to get into the reviews. That's the best way to share the program. Uh, and if you see the, the tweet that I send out or the article, make sure to share it out. Share it with the, the people that you know that care about the Nuggets. I think that they would like this podcast too. Okay. So I have started my own personal MVP tracker, and I know it's day three of the NBA season. We're just wrapping up day three here, but what I'm going to be doing is I am going to be putting together a daily thread on Twitter so that we can track narratives, we can track who's playing well, at what time, and sort of keep a running tally of those great games that really separate these players. And for a player like Jokic, who may not have a bunch of great games where he scores 50 points or gets 20 assists or whatnot, but if he's just steady, if he doesn't have any bad games, if he stays steady and and is just about the 25 to 35 point range, the 10 to 15 rebound range, and the 6 to 10 assist range most of the time, that should be pretty good. And so we're going to keep track of it. We're going to do what we can to show the ebbs and flows of the MVP race, at least through my eyes. So this is what I have leading into day four. Uh, This is after the first three days, uh, including Thursday's games. Uh, Mine is going to include the following names. I'm going to go with five, and then I'm going to list off some honorable mentions as well. You have Carl Anthony Towns. He is my current MVP. He's the the guy in the top spot. He's got 30 and 10, 30 points, 10 rebounds on 15 shots, two steals, two blocks, plus 34 in the plus minus department and an 18 point win against the Houston Rockets. 
Now, it did come against Houston, but his defense looked improved. The overall team chemistry and feel of the Minnesota Timberwolves, excuse me, that felt improved. Really liked what I saw from him. Second place is Big Joker, Nikola Jokic. Similar to Cat, had 27 points, 13 rebounds, did it on 22 shots, so slightly less efficient. Two assists, two steals, plus 28 in a 12-point win. Didn't want to seem biased immediately, so I'm putting Cat up there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I'm putting Cat up there. I think that his performance was just as impressive, so he gets the top spot for now, and we'll see how this thing ebbs and flows. Number three, John Morant. Big win for them over the Cleveland Cavaliers. He had 37-6-6 six six in a win over Cleveland. Uh, he's going to take a big leap, and I, I really like what I've seen from them. I, I think the, Minnesota, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, wow, I've done that with the 3M teams and haven't even included the Miami Heat yet. Uh, the only reason that he's below those two guys is because he took 29 shots to get 37, and it was against Cleveland, who I'm, I'm just not really sure what Cleveland's doing. They started three bigs, and it just feels a lot like Brian Shaw and the, the Denver Nuggets back in 2013, 2014, 2015. It's not a great sign. Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics comes in at four. Uh, he did have a loss over the Knicks uh, to the Knicks in double OT, but he scored 46, 9, and 4 in that game. Looked really good. Uh, kind of carried Jason Tatum and the dead weight that he put on. Had 20 points on 30 shots, did Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown was the guy that carried them through that game, and uh, he has the high point margin in the NBA so far, so until somebody else kind of comes up and usurps him, then I think it's fair to put somebody, even though they have a loss, like they'll they'll get some wins. And if he continues to play well, he deserves that. So, and Steph Curry, uh, triple-double in his first win over the Lakers and going off tonight against the Clippers, although he's kind of, he's kind of leveled out just a little bit, 37 points, does have six turnovers. Let us see. Yeah, that game is currently tied. So, I will kind of reserve judgment on that one. I was going to have Paul George in the honorable mentions. Um, yeah, and I still will. He's got 26, 10, and 5 in that game as, as kind of the, the primary guy. Eric Bledsoe, 20 points on 9, nine of 13. Very impressive performance from him. Um, yeah, so Paul George gets an honorable mention. Kevin Durant, honorable mention. He had a good game and a loss against uh, against Giannis and the Bucks. I do think that people overrate Durant in an MVP conversation because I just don't think that he's going to have the games played that all these other MVPs have. And if you play under about 65 games, then I'm not sure you can be considered for an MVP. Because those guys that, that are there and providing value for their teams and really having to earn the win every single night, I think are important. And that's one of the reasons that Jokic won his MVP because so many of the other candidates kind of had partial resumes and Jokic's was full. That's not just a that's not just a call to have the availability MVP. I'm not trying to say that, but it is important in my opinion to credit being on the floor. 
Uh, so Durant, he gets that. I guess I'll throw Giannis into the honorable mention category as well. Bucks got blown out, although they were very injured tonight against the Miami Heat, who had a really impressive performance from Tyler Hero. Uh, and then Zach Levine, LeBron James, they round out the honorable mentions. So right now, MVP tracker has it at Cat, Jokic, John Morant, Jalen Brown, Steph Curry. That will change massively over the course of these next few weeks and then few months. But I think it's going to be fun to sort of track it and and kind of go day to day on something like that. And I'm not going to put too much effort into it, too much stock into it, because I think overthinking it is probably a bad thing. But it is fun to kind of track throughout the time. So I'm going to do my best. Now kind of going and, and looking at the rest of the NBA here, I think four storylines have really dominated things over the course of the past week or so. And then kind of leading into tonight, I think it's pretty interesting that the last one I mentioned is going to pay a heavy impact on the MVP race, on the Western Conference race. Uh, But first is the Lakers. And you have no questions about LeBron. I think that he really showed out in the debut, or not the debut, the opener on Tuesday night. You have some questions about Anthony Davis. Is he going to stay healthy? What happens when he's in a tougher matchup? Uh, Is he ever going to play center? Is he going to stop falling? But he was very good in that first game against the Warriors, and that's that's a good sign for him. All of the questions about Russ and the rest of the roster for the rest of that team. Uh, Russell Westbrook looked awful in his debut, and it mirrored the regular season. They lost to the Golden State Warriors, who, while good, are not infallible, as it shows against the Clippers tonight. I'm going to need to see something from Russ. I'm going to need some efficient play, some uh, good playmaking that is productive and helpful for that team, as opposed to just taking away from the same opportunities that LeBron James would have. So it's going to be interesting. I'm uh, I'm watching that closely. Ben Simmons, he, Clutch, and Philly, uh, they continue to make a mockery of all other dramas. This is the drama to lead all drama. It is incredibly painful to watch. I want it to be resolved as quickly as possible because it is just... It's just so not NBA. I mean, it is the NBA because that's kind of what this has turned into. But like you had the report come out today that Howard Eskin, who's Spike Eskin's dad, who runs a radio station there, uh, he came out with a report from Philly that they believe that Ben Simmons is faking mental illness. And good Lord, if that is actually true, then that's crazy. If it's not true, then that is just despicable. Whoever, A, if if it was reported incorrectly, then that is bad. But if somebody fed that information and it was just a lie, good God, that is that is pretty scary. Um, but yeah, I hope this thing gets solved as soon as possible. Simmons is just miserable and he's making the rest of Philly miserable. Like, I'm okay with making Sixers fans sweat a little bit because of the the Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons versus Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray stuff, but they, they don't deserve this. Like, this is, this is just brutal. So, 
I hope this gets solved. It's distracting from basketball, and I don't want that to. Like, I think that we've got a, enough great things to care about. Kyrie Irving has been quietly in the background over the last week or so. Uh, we may not hear from him again for a while, and it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, as long as the Nets are winning, as long as things kind of go as they should, then the Nets should be perfectly fine without Kyrie for at least a little bit here. But if they do get off to a pretty bad start and people start asking the question, well, if you only had your all-star caliber point guard, uh, there is something to that. So I um, I think that I think I would definitely monitor that situation, but uh, fortunately it's in the background for right now. And the last one here, Dallas. Dallas looks like shit. Jason Kidd's debut as their head coach. It's just a complete clown show by the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, it is crazy how good they looked, the Hawks did, and how poorly Dallas's game plan operated. Uh, that's just a uh, it's just a despicable thing with the way that that happened. And uh, they've they've taken a number of mid range shots. They are working for all the wrong shots on the offensive end. Luca clearly doesn't have a lot of help. He shot the ball inefficiently as well. Their defense was awful. Uh, it's just pretty bad, and and I'm I'm very curious to see if they can sort of I don't know if if they can turn this thing around. That will be really really surprising at this point. I mean, well, actually, I, I won't say surprising. I think that's kind of dumb. Like it is very early. It's definitely early in this thing, but I just don't really have that high of expectations for them. So if they won 41 to 45 games, which is kind of 500 to slightly above, that wouldn't surprise me at all, but it would surprise a lot of people because Luca should kind of carry them to better than that. So we're going to see what they're like. This could change in the next 10 games or so, but I'm, I'm at least monitoring it for sure. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about what to expect between the Nuggets and the Spurs in Friday evening's matchup. We will be right back. Pickaxe and roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Okay, let us get into the home opener that the Nuggets are going to have against the San Antonio Spurs, who cannot be underestimated. Uh, I was looking at what the Spurs did in their first matchup, and good God, did they take it to the Orlando Magic in their own home opener. Uh, 123-97, they blew them out by 26. Uh, the big takeaway for how the Spurs are going to play there, they were sharing the basketball. Uh, they had seven guys in double figures. They had both of their, their leading scores were 19 points and 17 points, both off the bench, which I think is just a, a very interesting and unique stat. 32 assists, eight turnovers. That is a four to one assist to turnover ratio as a team. They were just running circles around the Orlando Magic on the offensive end. Uh, that's the first takeaway. Second takeaway. Jakob Pertl might actually be one of the keys to their team. 
he had 12 points, 13 rebounds, and 7 assists. Didn't have the highest plus minus. Wasn't the perfect opportunity there, but uh, he did have a really, really strong game. And he's a good defender, especially in the post. So if Nikola Jokic and company can disrupt him, or if he disrupts Jokic in return, that'll be a really big pivot point for this game. And next takeaway, the bench play is going to be very important. Here are the plus minuses for the primary Spurs bench guys. Plus 26, plus 24, plus 19, and plus 15 in their opener. If that sounds to you like the Phoenix Suns bench, then you and I both agree. Uh, The Nuggets already showed their weakness on that end, especially with that bench unit. Uh, You can't rely on the starters to be unbelievable all the time. You absolutely have to have some semblance of bench play. If you don't, it's going to be debilitating for Jokic whenever he has a bad game. Because if you have a a bad Jokic game, then the bench is not going to save you in any way, shape, or form. It forces Jokic and company to be great all the time. And asking them to do that is just asking Jokic to be exhausted for the entire rest of the season. Here's how I think the Nuggets should approach their rotation. If it were me, I would try the 10-man rotation again. I know that staggering really worked. I don't want Denver to default to staggering because I think that it creates a heavy minute load. It creates a heavy level of dependency on those starters. And injuries are going to happen if that happens. So I think the best thing for Denver to do is to try to continue to find bench solutions. Michael Malone said as much. And I think that that leads to Bones Highland, who I think that Denver really has to use instead of Austin Rivers this time around, because the primary problem with that bench unit uh, was twofold. It was the fact that they were playing a defensive unit and they were giving up buckets anyway, and they were playing a defensive unit, so they were going to struggle on the offensive end no matter what. And... I just think that if the defensive unit can't defend, you have to pivot. You have to find other ways to play, other ways to make it work. So, Bones is that guy. Bones is that guy who has the potential to give the Nuggets an energy boost. If things go right, if they don't go right, that's okay. But I think you owe it to the entire team, to yourselves, to... to give it at least the first half, give Bones the same opportunity that Austin Rivers had and see if he can score some points. See if he can make it work. If not, then you go back to the stagger and you then you try to figure out and you, you do that in the second half. So you give Bones the first half, see if he plays well. If he plays well and or if the bench plays well and he's not necessarily playing well himself, then that at least kind of implies that there's some sort of formula that Denver is finding. It doesn't always have to be about bones. It just has to be about how Denver is surviving. That if they provide a solution where they have a 10-man rotation and then the bench plays even, even if it's just because bones is drawing some attention, he's making some mistakes, but it really is just that he's drawing the attention and everybody else is playing well, that is okay. That is absolutely fine. 
and then you give him another stint in the second half. But if it doesn't work, you can go back to the stagger and then try to figure out a different solution in game three. The three things I really want to see. Uh, more MPJ actions as a playmaker. Him getting five assists is really, really big. I want to see if they can ride that out. See if they can continue to put him in positions where he can leverage his ability to score and then use it as a playmaker, use it as a passer. Because that helps open up his game and diversify his game a lot more than just shooting the ball, than just trying to play better defense. He can play better defense on his own. You have to put him in good positions, and he has to be properly motivated, but he will be. And honestly, him being a great defender, not def- not great, him being a competent defender in the first game, while not getting the offensive touches and the offensive scores that he was probably hoping for, I think is really, really big. It means that he doesn't have to be a scorer in order to figure out the rest of it. He can do something else. So, if it were me, I would try to give him more actions as a playmaker, see if he can match that five assist total, see if he can continue to set up his teammates. And if they hit shots, then more power to him. That's great. Number two, I want to see Jokic hitting some threes. I want to see him taking Pirtle out of the paint. That is where Pirtle operates at his best. And if Jokic is picking and popping him to death, then there's something to that. They'll they'll get a great opportunity to take advantage of that on a consistent basis. And it opens up the back cuts. It opens up the opposite actions where you rotate the ball over and then get a drive, then get a a slash to the rim. And then three, I want to see Porter and Gordon taking advantage of the size advantage that they have over Doug McDermott and Keldon Johnson. Johnson's strong. Johnson's, he's big for his size, but he's only 6'6". And Gordon being 6'8", 230, 235, he showed off that athleticism in game one, how it really impacted him over Mikhail Bridges, over Jay Crowder when he was playing his game. And then Porter at 6'10", with the ability to move that he has, they're probably going to put Keldon Johnson on him, which means that he can shoot right over him, which means that he can he has four inches of size. If he can leverage that, uh, use his ability, use his outside shooting ability to get to the rim and then finish over the top, that's exactly what you want. That's how you want the floor balance to look like. And then Gordon, if he can't body Doug McDermott, then I don't know. Like You want to take it personally with somebody like that because Doug McDermott, while he is solid, is not spectacular in any way, shape, or form on the defensive end. So you can get those shots. Don't settle for anything less. That's really all I have. I I think that Denver's well-positioned to get another game, to get another win if they want it. Uh, It may or may not happen, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how Denver goes into this, how they handle themselves. Uh, but for now, I'm, I'm really excited. I should be there. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm all set and all clear to go. I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm still sick. So going to see if I can do that. Uh, but until then, that is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Make sure to use promo code MHS if you sign up. Really, really appreciate it. 
Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you could rate, review, and subscribe, that would be awesome. And I'll talk to you guys very soon.